you have your Bible or your apps or whatever you like to use, Ecclesiastes. We are continuing our series through Ecclesiastes. And we're looking at just seven verses. Seven verses this morning. But really important verses. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Let me read what the Spirit so long ago wrote through the, through the pen of King Solomon. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are what they are doing, that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow, many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. We've already seen um, the preachers or Solomon's uncanny ability kind of to slap us in the face and let us see reality. Constantly in Ecclesiastes, I feel like he's, he's kind of shocking us into wake up and see what see the world for what it is really like. And I think he does that here as well, except today the preacher is actually walking into the church. And he's going to listen, he's going to examine our heart. And what are we like when we're in the church? And what are we like when we're in a small groups? And, and what are we like when we're in the quiet place when we are actually just alone with God? Let me set the table. If you recall from last week, I, I reiterated how um, he, he paints this picture that is so bleak, uh, he's not actually saying it, but I think he's feeling it in verse 3. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not been the evil. It's, it's, it would be better if we hadn't been born. That's how the world looks to him. Have you ever felt that way? Yeah. I think a lot of us have, if we're honest. And in that context, he says, I saw. What does he see? He sees the oppression around him. He sees those who are being oppressed by those who are powerful, and they're alone. There's no one to comfort them. And, and then he says, but the ones who are doing the oppressing, there's no one to comfort them. In verse 4, he says, then I saw all the toil and skill and the work of chapter 4. 
comes from a man's envy of his neighbor. He says the people are working hard because they're looking over at the neighbor's fence and they go, I want that. And as they strive for that, (laughs) they realize they're still not satisfied once they get it. In verse 7, he sees something else. He sees somebody who, who works so hard that he actually loses all his relationships around him. And he says, that's crazy, that's vanity, that's useless. He sees all these things. He sees a striving after stuff, a striving after possessions. And then after our passage in chapter 5, verse 10, he says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also was vanity. And so kind of on both sides of chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, is you have this picture or this painting that this pursuit of money, this love of money, is, is, is actually empty. And he's just stating a fact. He's stating what he sees. He's stating the obvious. But in the middle of that context, he talks about worship. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, the passage we read. Now, as I'm setting this table, I I want you to know, what does he actually say in chapter? He says, guard your steps when you go into the house of God. Now, I understand they, they, they weren't walking into the building of Calvary Community Reformed Church. When Solomon was writing this passage, the house of God was the temple. And the temple was the place where they would sacrifice all the animals and slaughter the animals. And that's where God dwelt and that's where they met with God. God dwells everywhere, but there was something about that's where they had to go to meet with God. That's what God had required. That's what God had said. And the way to do that is through through the various sacrifices and offerings. And Solomon says, guard your steps when you go into the house of God. Why would you have to protect yourself or be ever watchful as you're going into the very temple of God? Well, he's going to paint a picture why. Look at verse 1. He says, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifices of fools. For they do not know that what they are doing, that they are doing evil. Those are strong words. The word fools, um, probably a little stronger than just simply calling someone a crazy or an idiot or something like that. In the Old Testament, a fool was someone who believed there was no God. Basically, he's calling the sacrifice of atheists. They're actually doing offerings. They're actually bringing their pigeons or their lambs, and they're they're actually performing all the rituals that they have to do. And yet he says, they do not know that they are doing evil. Evil is a strong word. Evil is something we, we call Hitler evil. In fact, we're actually careful not to use that word too often. 
And so we can actually, he says, you can actually walk into the temple and do all the things right, all the offerings and the sacrifices right, and you could be doing a sacrifice of fools, one who's actually an atheist, and you could be doing these things that are evil. That's why we're to guard, to be on watch. Now, now he goes a little further. I want you to look a little further down in this passage that we read. Look at uh, verse 6. He says, let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Literally, uh, we could enter into the temple, and what we do with our mouth, with our tongue, could be sin. But he goes even stronger than that. Verse 6, he says, God might destroy the work of your hands. God might be angry with us. I wanted to paint that picture because when he says, guard your steps when you go into the house of God, he's actually saying this is serious business. You go to, you go to the temple to worship God. You go to the temple to, to meet with God. Now, we don't go to a temple how do we meet with God? I think one is we gather in the, we gather with the people of God. The scriptures make it very clear that we are not to forsake the assembly of the brethren because it's in that context we're encouraging one another because the day is approaching. And so when we come into this place, we, we, we come and we are, we're here to worship the Lord. We're here to meet with God. We're we're here to come into his presence. We encourage around here to gather in small groups. It's in that context that we, we do a lot of things in that context, but the, 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 the main thing we want to do is we want to meet with God. We want to worship him. We encourage you to read your Bibles. This, this year we're going through the chron chronological reading. We encourage you to read your Bible every day. Um, some people call it their quiet time. Some people call it a devotional life, uh, however you want to call it. But we do that. We encourage you to meet with God on a regular basis as individuals. Encourage families to meet with God together. There's all kinds of ways that we meet with, with our God. And I think Solomon is speaking to us in each of those settings. What does he say? How, how do we guard Three ways from this text. One, and right off the top, and probably the biggest thing he says is listen. Listen. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifices of fools. And so he says, rather than sac do the sacrifice of fools, he says, listen. Now, the idea of listen is twofold. One is to hear, and in Scripture, then to do. And you get this picture here, okay? He's telling us to listen, that to hear him, and then the idea of doing. We started the sermon, the service off this morning from Deuteronomy chapter 4, or 6 actually, but I want to back up. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 1, God says, 
or Moses says to Israel, but through God is actually speaking. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you. This is a theme throughout the Old Testament. In chapter 5, verse 1 of Deuteronomy, And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today. And then he's going to unpack the Ten Commandments to a whole new, to a whole new generation. And then in chapter 6, he says, Now is, this is the commandment in verse 1, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God. Verse 3 of chapter 6, Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them. And then in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you to do today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. Now I say all of that, did you catch as I've been walking through that? He says, listen, hear, listen, hear, hear, be careful to do. But in, in the midst of that, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. That's a summary of the law. It's a summary of God's commands. To love God with all that we have. But how do we do that? We start by listening. not rocket science the Christian life Ecclesiastes chapter 5 paints it just slightly different look at verse 3 for a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words then look at verse 7 these are, these are difficult to grasp uh, even, even for the translators verse 7 for when dreams increase the words grow many there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. What's he saying there? How do we actually function in life for the most part? We are a people who want to be active. Do, 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 do. And the scriptures tell us to do. When the, when the, the worshiper went into the temple, he was supposed to sacrifice. That's what God had said. He was doing what God told him to do. We are a people who, who always want to do, and we, we, love, to, we love to talk. We love, we love chatter. We love noise. Well, not everybody. I get that. But for the most part, our world is filled with noise. Even, even our worship is filled with noise. Chatter. What do we tend to do things out of? We, 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 we tend to act and then think. We tend to do, and if you're like me, if you get your Ikea stuff, then you look at the instructions. It's never so good. Our author in Ecclesiastes says, to draw near and listen is better than the sacrifice of fools. 
Moses says in Deuteronomy, listen. Listen. It's in the context of listening and hearing what God has said that we know what to do. We come and we gather, and the reason we gather around the Word of God is because, God, what do you have to say to me? What is it that I need to hear? Lord, would you change me? Why do I open this book up in uh, in the morning? Because, God, I know God loves me. This is his love letter for me, and I want to know who he is, and and I want to, out of knowing him and what he has said, out of that I go. need to be people who listen. Now, I want to mention a caution here. I, I think there's a great movement where we, where, where in, in our evangelical circles where we're calling people to, to, to listen to God. I, I think that's a good statement. But that listening <sighs> is really more of an Eastern thinking than it is a biblical thinking. In an Eastern context, uh, to, to meditate or to hear from the gods or from your God is, is an emptying of your mind. And God from within will speak. From, from a biblical perspective, to hear from God is to open the book and actually read what he has said. Deuteronomy 6, a passage we read earlier, very clearly says that what are we to do when we get up and we go for a walk and we talk to our children? What are we to talk about? We're to talk about what God has said. In in order to talk about what God has said, we've got to read it. We've got to listen to what he's actually said. Psalm 46, verse 10, the passage, be still, and know that I am God. What an incredibly beautiful passage. But it comes in verse 10. Verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore I will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. It's after I'm contemplating on who God is and what the texts of the scriptures say about God. That's when I can go, Oh, I can be still, I can know, because I've heard from him. And quietness flows out of listening. Even our prayer life should pull out of, flow out of listening to what God says. George Mueller, the great prayer warrior, simply says, I, I scarcely ever suffered this now. He's talking about how he used to struggle to pray and not know how to pray, and not know what to pray, and it took him 45 minutes to actually get into prayer. And he says, I don't suffer from that no more. He says, from a heart being nourished by the truth, being brought into an experiential fellowship with God, I speak to my father and to my friend about the things that he has brought before me in this precious word. It often now astonishes me that I did not sooner see this point. What he says is, I get up in the morning and he says, I, 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 
I start with the scriptures and I read the scriptures and as I, I'm immersing myself in the scriptures, I'm hearing from my friend. Uh, I'm beginning to realize who he is and what he has told me to do. And it's out of that that I pray. It's out of that that I do. It's out of that that I worship. Ecclesiastes 5, let's go back there. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifices of fools. They do not know what they are doing, but they are doing evil. King Saul was one that offered a sacrifice, and God says it's better to, to obey, to listen. And to offer these sacrifices. King Saul is told, this is what you're supposed to do. King Saul doesn't do it, but he still offers these sacrifices. And what's he doing? He's, he's simply, in, in that context, he was, he was simply, he was going through the ritual and the, and, and, and the rituals of the sacrifices, and yet he had not obeyed what God had actually said. And that led to his destruction. So often we're focused on the external worship, what it worship actually looks like. And we really don't truly care to hear God and obey God. Ananias and Sapphira in, in, the, in the book of Acts. There's a man named Ananias in chapter 5 with his wife Sapphira. They sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it, and, and laid it at the apostles' feet. They, they're, they're, they gathered the money, that, and they would, they would bring it as an act of worship, and they'd lay it at the apostles' feet on a Sunday morning, on the Lord's Day. That was the practice of the early church. It was an act of worship. Now, there was a practice going on where some were selling their land and giving all of it to the Lord. They didn't have to, the passage makes it incredibly clear that they didn't have to do that. They could sell the land and keep the money, or they could sell the land and give some of the money, or they didn't even have to sell the land. But Ananias and Sapphira, they, they, they sold the land, and they wanted it to look like they gave all of it. And so they went through the ritual, the sacrifice, the offering, the worship, It was all a lie. They did not love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I think the Solomon is just simply saying is that's the sacrifice of fools. What they, they were actually doing is evil. That God would destroy their work and be angry with them. And in that context, God struck both of them dead in that moment. Now, God in his grace and his patience doesn't do that immediately, and that's not the most common practice. But eventually, God will deal with those who are falsely worshiping him. Our doing and our chatter and our speaking and often even our prayer life flows out of 
not so much listening to what God has said, but just flows out of what we want. And, and can we look good? And I think Solomon just looks at that and goes, that's vanity. That's crazy. Now, he not only tells us to listen, he says, be slow to speak. Look, look at verse 2. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. How many times have you heard God told me this or God said this? God, now be careful when you say that. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't speak to us. I believe he does. I believe he speaks to us through his book. But be very careful what we do there. Don't be rash with your mouth and don't make promises that you can't make or keep. Whether it's to others or whether it's to God. Don't say, I'll do this and then don't do it. Certainly don't do that with the Lord. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. And then, he says, not only listen, not only be slow to speak, but when you make a vow, when you make a promise, keep it. You say, this is what I'm going to do, God, this is what I'm going to do, then do it. It's better not to do not to make a promise than actually make a promise. Be careful. I want to draw this to a conclusion in some way. Allow me to say a couple things in conclusion, straight from the text, verse two. He says, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Perspective there. God is in heaven and you are on earth. God sees everything. God is in charge of all things. God, God, God. God hears every word. God knows the motives of our heart. God knows all of those things. God is in heaven and you are on earth. Don't fake worship. Whether it's what we sing, don't fake it. If, if, if you mean it, sing it. Don't try to do things for God so that others go, oh, look at him, look at her. Don't, don't, go, don't gather around the table so others go, well, well don't, don't even come to church with the idea, I'm just going to go through the motions. I'm just going to. God is in heaven and you are on earth. And, and, and then he concludes, the second part thing I wanted to point out, verse 7 for when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. To, to, to fear God is, first of all, to acknowledge that he exists. To fear God, there is a sense of trembling. He has the ability to punish us. 
to fear God, though, is also this idea to be in awe of Him. Look what He's done. To be amazed. We sang a song where, where, where we talked about how we ran our hell-bound race. We were going in one direction, and God in His grace grabbed us and saved us, rescued us, dies on a cross to save us from our sins. As I read this book over and over and over again, I, and, and as I dig into this book, I begin to realize how much God loves me. And it feeds my soul so that I want to worship. God is the one you must fear. To fear God is to acknowledge Him, to tremble, to be in awe, but to fear God is to love Him. Because he first loved us. What do we do with all of this? Listen. What is your practice of listening to God? Is there, hab there habits in your life where you are pausing to actually pause and, and to read this book and to get to know the one who loves you, the one who calls you friend? Is, is your life being birthed out of what you're hearing? Is your obedience being birthed out of this? What is your, what is your, what is your practice of your speech, even your prayer life? Is it flowing out of what you know to be true from here? Or is it just flowing from what's in here? What's your practice when it comes to doing what you said you were going to do? Is it an obedience? You say, okay, God, I said I would, I will. called to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Solomon, Solomon in these words, I, 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 so much of our worship isn't, isn't from that spot. And Solomon says that's vanity. It's a chasing after the wind. It's useless. Those are strong words. We close every week around the table. And the Lord's table is, is a simple reminder that some 2,000 years ago, God became a man. He dwelt among us. He lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. And then he dies on our behalf. And the truth is, I said all of those things, but none of us in this room can love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. None of us do. But there is one who has. His name is Jesus. 
Jesus, unlike Adam, Jesus loved God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind, with all his strength. Jesus, when he worshiped God, it was always out of a perfectly clear conscience. Jesus always obeyed his Father. He always did what his Father told him or what he saw his Father doing, unlike us. And it's only because of what Jesus has done and our faith in this Jesus that we too can worship him. You hearing that? So as you come to remember, I, I would start by just simply saying, Lord, again, I failed to worship you this week like I ought to. I, I know that. Forgive me. And thank you that you have given me your righteousness. And therefore, I can worship you, come into your presence boldly. If you're a follower of Christ, if you know this Lord, if there's been a time when you've walked in from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, you're a follower of Jesus, you're welcome to join us around the table and remember him. Please stand.